And if no one has wished you a happy new year, happy new year, happy first Sunday of the new year. Um, how many of you all are thankful for new beginnings? So thankful for new beginnings. If it weren't for new beginnings, we'd all be sunk. We'd be, we'd be done for. The Lord is a Lord of new beginnings. He loves doing new things. And I think there that we have many new beginnings over the course of our walk with the Lord. Uh, before we get into stuff today, I do want to give you all an update. Let you all know how amazing you all are with our end of the year giving. Look at those numbers. We have exceeded our goals for motorcycles and for the Joshua Fund. And oh, by the way, Tuesday night prayer, I've been told to tell you all this, we will be praying for those hostages that are still captive uh, Tuesday night uh, for prayer. So come and join us for that. But you all are faithful. God has given us so much grace in giving and his kingdom will be advanced and expanded because of your faithfulness. So thank you very much. And we ask for more, Lord. More, Lord, in Jesus' name. New beginnings. You know, um, I'm going to give a little disclaimer at the front of this message that uh, I got a little emotional in the first um, message because this one has hit home for me. It's been really close. Uh, my wife and I, Sarah, many of you all know, we have a new beginning in our life. And that is Grayson Quinn West, the newest Steelers fan in the West family. You know, you can boo. It's okay to be wrong about some things. It's okay. It's all right. Um, I'll get into a little bit about, um, I can't go into all the details it would take too long, but this has, this has been the hardest thing that Sarah and I have had to walk through as husband and wife. She was admitted into the hospital with gestational hypertension and the flu, A. Um, she wasn't doing well. Grayson wasn't doing well. Uh, we decided C-section was the way to go. Um, Mama didn't do well during the C-section. She lost a lot of blood. Um, he wasn't doing so great. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't great. So he was in the NICU for almost two weeks. Uh, Sarah had to go back into the hospital two other times after the C-section, and we had to we had to ring in the new year in the OB triage. Um, new beginnings are not always easy. But I am here to tell you that if you trust in the Lord, if you obey, His promises and His purposes will prevail in your life. And you know, whenever I prep for a sermon... Um, I love getting up here and, and sharing with you all to, to edify the body under the glory of the Lord, but I tend to get more out of the prep than I actually do getting up here because the Lord's working on me. You know, he's saying, are, are you practicing what you're preaching? Are you going to get up there and tell somebody to do something when you're not doing something? So when Sarah went into the hospital, the, the sermon was, was pretty much done. I was supposed to preach last week. Yeah, I needed to do PowerPoint, outline, type it up, you know, things like that. But I think the Lord went, no, because you're going to have to kind of live this. And it's, it's been tough, but he has been nothing but faithful. And I am so thankful for new beginnings. Um, a lot of you all know this. But I never went to seminary. I never went to Bible college. I am enrolled in Bible college now, but I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in classical acting. And one of the playwrights that I had to study in college was this man right here. Any guess as to who that is? Nobody knew it in the first one. Anybody? That's George Bernard Shaw. And would you write, Jenny? Would you write? Ah, Jenny was right. 
Okay, it's George Bernard Shaw. He was an Irish, he's an Irish playwright, was. He, he was born in 1856, died at the age of 94 in 1950. He wrote over 60 plays in his lifetime, and actually, my first ever professional production that I was in was one of his plays called Pygmalion, written in 1913, adapted for the screen in 1938, and Mr. Shaw actually won an Oscar for that. Now, many of you all may actually know this story, but you don't know it as Pygmalion. You know it as the musical My Fair Lady, which debuted on Broadway in 1956, winning six Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Two years later, had a huge West End run in London, starring Rex Harrison and Julie Andrews. And then in 1964, it hit the big silver screen, with Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn, and it took home eight Oscars. So a brand new play written in 1913 would win nine Oscars and six Tony Awards, and George Bernard Bernard Shaw never even saw most of it. Lots of times our new beginnings have effects years and years down the road. Now, I bring up this not because of of the show or the play, but because of a quote that George Bernard Shaw is known for. Many of you all may actually have heard a version of this quote. It's a funny quote. We laugh at it, but unfortunately, it actually sheds light on a very sad reality. And here's the quote. If the other planets are indeed inhabited then they must be using the earth as their insane asylum. If there is life on other planets, then they must be sending all the crazies here. Nicholasville, Kentucky. The world's messed up. It's a sad reality, but the world is messed up. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse and worse day after day, year after year. And I wonder if George Bernard Shaw were alive today, how crazy he would think the world has become. Probably pretty crazy. Now, if you want to know where all this craziness started, all you got to do is go back to the beginning of the book. The first 11 chapters in Genesis, minus chapters maybe 1 and 2, are failure after failure, sin after sin, and it's the same failure, the same sin that we're dealing with today. It just seems like it's on a grander scale. Adam and Eve, disobedient, cast out of paradise, chapter 3. Cain murdered his brother Abel and lied about it, chapter 4. Mankind became so corrupt and sinful that the Lord had to cleanse the earth with a flood. Chapter 6 through 8. Good old Noah, what'd he do? Got drunk, exposed himself to one of his sons. Chapter 9. And in defiance to God, man built a tower in order to get to other gods, and God sent confusion to end the rebellion. Chapter 11. Defiance, disobedience, deception, drunkenness, nudity, rebellion. Sound familiar? Same stuff we're dealing with today. Now, God at this point had already cleansed the world once. I might be thinking, well, let's get rid of all the crazies and just start all over again. But that's not what he had in mind. God called a man and his wife to leave their home, go to a new land, so that you, me, and all of humanity could have a new beginning. Are we thankful for new beginnings? I know I am. Now, at this one, we actually get to the main text. At this point, uh, they're Abram and Sarai, but outside of the text that I'm going to read, I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah to make things a little bit easier, okay? Because of God's call and Abraham and Sarah's obedient faith, they gave the world the Jewish nation, still God's chosen people. We love them. We pray for them gave us the scripture, gave us the Bible, and gave us the Savior, Jesus Christ. So where would we be today if Abraham and Sarah were not obedient, if they didn't trust God? You know, I thought about this when I was prepping for this sermon. 
I was disobedient to God for 18 years. And I've often thought to myself, and it saddens me, but where are others because I was disobedient? What opportunities did people miss because I walked away from the Lord? But he's a God of new beginnings. Now, we are going to look at four elements or four aspects of Abraham and Sarah's new beginning. And we need to examine our lives as well with these. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 27. I'm reading out of Christian Standard Bible today, and I'm pretty sure that all the scripture references that I read are also Christian Standard, just for your information. So chapter 11, verse 27. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran, beginning of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morai. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the right. He built an altar to the Lord there and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Lord, teach us from your word today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the first aspect of Abraham and Sarah's new beginning is that there was a call. And everything starts with a call from God. God is calling, has called every single one of us. Through his spirit, he calls the sinner to salvation. And he calls the believer to trust and obedience. God calls the sinner by grace, Ephesians 2.9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit, and through belief in the truth, He called you through our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I very quickly want to touch on a word. This word is not in our main text that we read, but it is a theme that runs throughout, and it's the word sanctification. You don't hear that word a lot, but it's a very important word. Sanctification in the life of the believer go hand in hand with our walk with the Lord. So what is sanctification? The central idea in sanctification is separation. 
okay? Separation from sin and separation to or devotion to God. Okay, think of it this way. A chef has different cutting boards that they put different things on, right? Okay, he's got one for the bread. He's got one for the meat. You don't put the meat on the cutting board for the bread because you don't want the contaminants from the meat to get into the bread. You don't want cross-contamination. So the chef has separated the cutting board from the meat and dedicated it solely to the bread. Make sense? Now, in biblical sanctification, you will see that a person or even things, objects, or items are separated from evil or common use and dedicated solely to God. And you have to have both aspects in sanctification, separation from and devotion to. They have to work together. Now, there's two more aspects of sanctification, a progressive aspect and a positional aspect. Positional is number one. And positional sanctification is at salvation, you were sanctified. This is also where we get the word saint. Paul says in his greeting to the Corinthians, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. Chapter 6, verse 11. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So at salvation, you were set apart for God. Taken out of darkness, separated, put into light, solely devoted to him. And you know what? Satan does not want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know your position, who you are in Christ. He doesn't want you to see yourself as God sees you. You need to see yourself as God sees you. God sees you as a saint set apart dedicated solely to him. Now, the progressive aspect of sanctification is acting out your positional sanctification. This is in 2 Corinthians 7.1. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion or perfection in the fear of God. So at salvation, you're deemed holy, you're deemed sanctified, that's your position, but we have to perfect it. You are, but you aren't. You are in your position, but you're not in your practice. And the idea is to get your practice close to your position. And the only way that happens is if you know your position, if you know who you are in Christ, when you know your position, it will affect your practice, okay? So that's your little mini sermon on sanctification. So God was calling Abraham out of idolatry, separating him from the sin in the land of Ur and devoting himself to him because Ur was a city that was mainly devoted to Nana or Nanar, the moon god or the god of wisdom. I mean, Abraham didn't know God. He'd done nothing to deserve knowing him, and none of us deserve the grace of God. But he graciously calls every single one of us. John 15, 16, you've not chosen me, I have chosen you. And Abraham was 75 years old when he got the call. So I just want to say this, don't let age, don't let anything be an obstacle to what God is calling you to do. God can use the young, he can use the old. He can use the great, he can use the small. Abraham trusted God. It wasn't perfectly, but he trusted God for 100 years after he got the call. So will you trust God in 2024? Will you trust God for the small amount of time that he's given you 
on this earth? Will you live to please the Lord? Now, the first call that everybody has to answer is the call of salvation. So if you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never said you are my Lord, my Savior, and my King, that's the prerequisite to all of this. And if you've not done that, do it today. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, God can't use me. Now, not all the time, but most of the time, God calls the unlikely. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, an old man. Sarah, an old woman, and barren, an unlikely couple to found the nation of Israel. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 30. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. I love this next part. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. And listen to this. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. That's your position. That's who you are in Christ. This needs to be somebody's verses for 2024. Because I know there are people in here who have been told, you're a nothing. You're a nobody. You're insignificant. God says, not in my eyes. He says, in my eyes, you are a something. And you can change the world because I have promises for you. I have purposes for you. I have a calling on your life. Now, God called Abraham a Jew after the Gentiles had failed. They let idolatry creep in. I'm going to read a section from Romans 1. This is a chunk of verses 18 through 32. Uh, go, go read all of Romans 1. This is what happens when idolatry creeps in. And idolatry is not just the worship of something made out of stick, stone, and straw. Anything that comes before the Lord is idolatry. Anything you love more, serve more, give more time to, that's idolatry. And you tell me when I read this, if this isn't exactly where we're at today. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Idolatry. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what had been created instead of the creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received on their own persons the appropriate penalty for their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. And listen to this because this is our world. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. This is what has happened in our world because people put anything else before the Lord Jesus Christ. But God called Abraham to be light in the dark world, and he's called you and he's called me to be the light in the darkness. Now, 
How did God call? Well, the scripture says that God appeared to Abraham. We don't know how he appeared. This is the first of seven communications to Abraham. But listen, (laughs) when we get close to God, when God reveals himself to us, and he will reveal himself to you if you want him to, it will always show us the folly of our sin and our idolatry. Always. The closer we get to God, the closer I get to God, the more I realize I'm a man of unclean lips, and Lord, I need your saving grace in my life. I need you. God showed Abraham the folly of the idol worship in Ur. Why worship an inanimate object when you've met the living God? We have a ministry here at COS called Encounter. It's called that for a reason. Because we make a space so we can encounter the living God. And when you encounter the living God, your life is never the same again. It's on your bulletin, our vision, lives transformed by the presence of God. Because when you get in God's presence and he shows up, he transforms our lives for the better. It might not always be easy, but it's for the better. Now, God also spoke to Abraham. Because it's the word of God that brings the miracle of faith. Faith comes by the hearing of the word of God. God was calling Abraham to separate himself from the corruption around him because sanctification only happens when we obey in faith. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham went when he was called, obeyed, and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he didn't know where he was going. He did it by faith. Now, lost people today, believers today, not that God couldn't do it, but we don't get a special invitation like Abraham did. You know how people see the glory of the Lord today? People see his glory and they hear his words of faith when we witness, when we share our faith story. When we talk to people about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, I'm so thankful that Steve took two weeks to talk about, this is how you share your story. Talk to people about Jesus. It's the good news. It's the best news in the entire world. Why would you not want to share it with someone? Now, listen to what Matthew 5.16 says. This isn't a suggestion. This is, this is a, a mandate. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, God spoke to Abraham directly. But today, people hear the truth of salvation through you and me. Now, God called Abraham, I think, for a few different reasons. One, he was concerned about his salvation. God's concerned about everybody's salvation. He was also concerned that the world would be blessed and saving the world. God was sent through the Jewish nation. But God also called Abraham because Abraham is an example for us today. We are to walk by faith. Abraham was saved by faith, lived by faith, and his obedience was the evidence of his faith. Abraham obeyed even though he didn't know where he was supposed to go. He didn't know the where, he didn't know the how, the when, or the why, and so should we. But you know, he knew the who. He knew God. When you know the who, when you know God, you don't have to worry about the where, the when, the how, the why. We're just to trust and obey and walk by faith. And Abraham and Sarah were by no means perfect. They didn't follow God perfectly. But they did live a life that was characterized by faith. When they sinned, they suffered the consequences. But the Lord is always there, always there to forgive when we repent. Always. I put this quote on the top of your outline. 
George Morrison said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Now, that is not an excuse to sin. Oh, I do what I want to do. I'll just start over again. Lord, forgive me. Oh, I'll do what I want to do. Lord, forgive me. Start over again. No, it's not an excuse to sin, but it is encouragement that when you do fall, repent and get back up. I'm sure, I bet some of you today are holding on to stuff that you have not repented of. You walk in here every single Sunday with the same baggage. Let it go. Come lay it down at the altar. When you answer the call of God, when you start a new beginning, you will discover that no test is impossible and no failure permanent when you trust in the Lord. Next point. These are all next short ones. That was the longest one, I promise. I apologize if we go over it. But there was a covenant. Now, your faith is not based on emotions. Though emotion is certainly involved, true faith is based on the word of God. We already said it. God spoke to Abraham and told him what he could do for him and through him if he would trust and if he would obey. And God's covenant gave Abraham the strength and the faith that he needed for this new beginning and this new lifelong journey. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing God's promises to us. And how you respond to God's promises determines what God will do in your life. Steve said this a, a few weeks back. He said a great statement that, that the yardstick of reward in your life is how faithful you are in doing what God has called you and only you to do. Nobody else can do it for you. Now, the Bible records many covenants and the Hebrew word translated has lots of meanings. One is to eat with. This is fellowship with one another. It's a picture of eating around the table. Jesus ate with his disciples around the table, and it's a picture of agreement with one another for this spiritual contract, this heavenly contract. And the second one is to bind or fetter. It's great commitment. This is a binding contract and the Lord won't break it we break it he won't break it and the last one is to a lot this suggests sharing with one another and I just want to let you all know that Pastor Ryan really loves ice cream so if you ever want to give him some mint chocolate chip that's my favorite that's my favorite ice cream okay when God makes a covenant he enters into an agreement to commit himself to give what he promises, and it is purely an act of grace. God didn't give Abraham reasons. He didn't give him explanations. He gave him promises. I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God promised to show Abraham a land and make him into a great nation. And through that nation, the whole world would be blessed. God gave Abraham and Sarah sufficient truth to believe him, and they set out in faith. So I say it one more time. When God makes a covenant, it's an agreement that he commits himself to what he promises and God reaffirmed this covenant with Isaac, Jacob, and it was fulfilled with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Third, and unfortunately this is an aspect, but there's compromise. Now for some reason I never saw this before. I always thought that Abraham was doing good until later on in chapter 12 they went to Egypt and he lied for the first time. But that's not the case. If you read the text... It says he was supposed to separate himself not just from the land, but also his relatives and his father's house. And instead of leaving his family as he was commanded, 
He took his father, he took his nephew Lot with him when he left Ur. And that got me to thinking, whatever you bring with you from the old life into your new life can create some problems. Lots of times it can create problems. Sanctification, the life of faith, demands total separation from what is evil and total devotion to what is holy. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Abraham was often tempted to compromise. And unfortunately, occasionally he yielded. He wasn't perfect. And every single one of us, We've all been tempted to compromise, and when we do, it gets us into trouble. I did not follow 2 Corinthians 6.14, and it got me into 18 years of nothing but trouble. Now, God will test you. He will test us, but God tests us to build our faith. Satan tempts us in order to destroy our faith and bring out the worst in us. And sometimes, sometimes you need to make a clean break from people, places, things in your life. You've got to completely separate yourself. Now, I'm not saying that you isolate yourself unless you need to from your family, your friends, your loved ones, but I am telling you this, those people, those things, those places in the old life, they can't be your first love anymore. Because if they are, that's idolatry. Because you're putting something else before God. And lastly, there was a commitment. I'll leave that up there. Faith brings, I don't want that one up there. Faith brings us out. Now, I don't know what caused Abraham to take his family with him. But faith demands commitment. Because faith and double-mindedness, they don't go together. You can't serve two masters. You can't be walking on one road one day and then go the next day, I'm going to walk on this road. I'll serve the Lord one day. I'll serve him on Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday night Bible study, but all the rest of the days, I'm not going to serve him. You can't do that. James says that's someone who's tossed about on the waves. You're wishy-washy. You're this way one day. You're that way another day. Double-mindedness and faith don't go together. And you know what? Commitment today is a vanishing commodity. It really is. People don't want to commit to anything. They don't want to commit to jobs. They don't want to commit to marriages. They don't want to commit to churches. As soon as I don't like something, I'm gone. Go somewhere else. Oh, the music wasn't good enough. I didn't like that. They didn't play enough this. They didn't play enough that. I'll go somewhere else. Oh, that pastor, he touched on some things that I didn't really like. That kind of stepped on my little toe. Somewhere else. The pastor wasn't a good communicator. I'm going to go somewhere else temporary. Vance Havner said, it is a day of fading declarations. Church covenants are found in the back of hymn books, but they faded in the lives of most of our members, if they ever meant anything at all. It's a day of fading declarations. In 2024, today, do you need to renew a declaration to the Lord? Do you need to recommit your life to the Lord? And I say it again, where would we be if Abraham and Sarah had not been faithful? And where will the next generation be if we're wishy-washy? If we're not faithful, where's the next generation going to end up? Faith brings us in. God calls us out so that he might bring us in. Deuteronomy 6.23, but he brought us from there in order to lead us in And give us the land that he swore to our fathers. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the destination that's important. Now, we don't know a lot about the journey to Canaan. When Abraham and Sarah got there, they were strangers. They were pilgrims in a pagan land. It wasn't until centuries later that God would give the land to Abraham's descendants. And you know, a lot of older songs picture that entering into Canaan land as, as a picture of dying and going to heaven. It's not a picture of dying and going to heaven. It's a picture 
of the believer claiming his or her inheritance, the promises that God has for their lives, and it can only be obtained by faith. And I think God has appointed many Canaan lands for every single one of us. But if we don't walk by faith, they'll never be obtained. And listen. Claiming the promises of the Lord in your life, claiming your inheritance, it will involve tests. It will involve temptations. It will involve challenges, and it will involve great battles. But God is able to see you through all of it. When you walk by faith, you know that God is with you and you need not be afraid. God will work out his purposes and accomplish in you and through you all that is in the master's heart. Remember, you don't need to know the what, the when, the where, the why if you know the who. Trust in God. When Abraham went to the land of Canaan, he was marked by his tent and his altar. The tent marked him as a stranger, a pilgrim. But the altar marked him as a citizen of heaven who worshiped the living God. He gave witness to everybody that he was separated from the world and totally devoted to God. But when he left his tent and he left his altar, he got into trouble. And the same thing happens to us. Faith moves us on. Worship team, you can come on out. The life of faith is never a standstill. Now, there may be moments when God t- he tells you to hold for a moment. But if your feet are going, your faith is growing. That's why it's called walking by faith. It's not called standing still by faith. Listen to the verbs of Abraham. He departed, went forth, passed through, removed. God kept Abraham moving so that he would meet new challenges and trust God for new graces. Comfortable Christianity is not the life of faith. I said it the last time I was up here. There is an idol of comfortability that has crept into the church. We are called to mature spiritually. And you know what? Sometimes growing up ain't easy. It's just not. Now, how did Abraham know what to do? How did he know where to go? He called upon the name of the Lord. He asked. He prayed. He worshiped. And he wasn't afraid to do it publicly. People would have seen He built an altar, but there were no idols on that altar. Wherever he pitched a tent, he built an altar. And you know what? You could trace Abraham's steps by the altars that he left behind. What are you going to leave behind in 2024? When you leave your workplace, have people's lives been changed? because they've been in the presence of God, because the Holy Spirit lives in you? Or would they have no idea? They would think he's just part of the world. Do people know you're separated? Separated from the world and devoted solely to God? Now, before we take communion, I want to share a story that I hope is encouraging to you because I lived it. At around 9 o'clock December 15th my wife Sarah was not doing well she had a fever of 103 Grayson was not doing well inside of mama and we did what Abraham did we called upon the name of the Lord we asked we prayed we put on worship music in the room and we said Lord what are we supposed to do should we get him out should we wait And we knew that the Lord was calling us to to go ahead and get Grayson out. So they came into the room and they said, okay, Ryan, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's your space suit. Get dressed up. You're going to follow mom and we're going to take her into the OR and you're going to be in the recovery room that she'll eventually come into. We're going to prep her 
and then we'll let you come in. And this recovery room, it was eerie. It was totally empty, like one panel light on, and there's this one lone chair off to the side, and they said, Dad, that's where, that's where you got to go sit. So I go and I sit down. I'm completely alone. And it was like, it was like somebody had the mute button on. I, I, I didn't hear, I couldn't hear anything. And I sat there and I just started to pray. I started to call upon the name of the Lord. I don't even remember what I prayed, but the presence, the living God walked into that room and I felt a peace come over me like I've never felt in my life. And in my spirit, I heard, fear not for the Lord is with you. I think an angel walked into that room and gave me that word. And I knew from that moment, okay, I got to trust you, Lord. I got to trust you. Well, it, did, it wasn't easy. Mama didn't do well. She lost a lot of blood. Grayson didn't do well. I knew the who. The what, the when, the where, the how were not anything that we'd planned. But I knew the who. And I knew the promise that mama was going to be okay. And we were going to have a baby boy. The Lord was going to deliver because he committed himself. Now, as we take the Lord's table, uh, this is not a religious ceremony. This is a time that we're to reflect on the promises of God. The promise, the covenant that was fulfilled through Abraham and Sarah, with Jesus being sent to the cross and dying. And it's also a time for us to examine ourselves. You know what? Maybe you got things that you've brought with you from 2023 into 2024, and you say, Ryan, I got to separate myself from that stuff. Maybe you've compromised. Hey, when I was going through this last three weeks, I didn't do it perfectly. Fear creeped in, doubt crept in, worry crept in. But I trusted the Lord. And I admitted, Lord, I've sinned, I'm struggling, I repent, I need your grace. Help me. And he did. So everybody, take the bread. Take that bottom piece off. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you broken for every single one of us. You know, there's never a person that you will lay eyes on that the Lord didn't die for, that his body wasn't broken for. So Lord, we thank you for your broken body. And Lord, in 2024, this is a personal prayer too, I pray that I would be broken before you every single day. Take of the bread. And he also took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the new covenant. Praise God for his covenant. Steve says this all the time. His blood is the most precious commodity in the world. It cleanses us. It washes us white as snow. It's the blood that covers, the blood that heals, the blood that protects. And he shed it for you and he shed it for me. So, Lord, we remember your shed blood. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for all of mankind. In Jesus' name, take of the cup. As we worship, this altar is open. Don't go out of here today. Don't let another moment go by in 2024 if you have business to do with the Lord. There'll be people to pray with you. Let's worship. you all stand as you're able. This altar is also open, and if you feel like you need prayer from our prayer team, they are here to pray for you as well. We're just going to worship together. Great is thy
days I will love you, God. Sing, I will love, I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock, forever. I will love you, God. And I will love you now and always. I will love you, Lord, because you first loved me. You have been faithful, so faithful to me. I look ahead You take me to the land of the living Hold me by the hand Though I cannot see in front of me I know you are there I know you are good I know you are there, Lord I know you are good we sing that. I know you are there. I know you are good. I know you are there. And I know you are good, Lord. Yes, I know you are there. I know you are good, Lord. I know you are there. Cause I know you are good. faithful you promise you never leave or forsake us thank you so much lord i pray that today is a day where you can look back and go that's the day in 2024 i made a commitment to trust the lord and obey him faithfully i may not do it perfectly but i'm going to trust you lord for all my days and if you're here and you would say pastor ryan i've i never answered i've never answered the call of salvation would you just pray this with me say dear lord i recognize you i know you're calling me i've sinned i've compromised i put other things in front of you Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me. Sanctify me by your Spirit. Come into my life as Lord and Savior today. 
and help me to trust you and obey you and faithfully follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, don't leave without telling somebody up here. God bless all of you. Thank you for sticking around. Don't forget to go pick up your children and happy new year. God bless. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.